Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Here we are again. We're hoping with very interesting stories, information you'd never hear anyone anywhere else <laughs> other than from the three musketeers here, <laughs> Patrick, Megan, and myself. And we want to congratulate you on your loyalty. We see the audiences keep growing, and uh, we need more cards and letters. We, you know, we want to really know what you want to hear and any questions that we can answer. And uh, talking about successes, Pat. Look oh, what's yeah. happening with our book, man. It's amazing. It's crazy. I, I am overwhelmed. I mean, this is my eighth published book. And uh, I've had some success with the other books, particularly the the, the first one, uh, one of the five printings, and that was nice. But the end result was I think we sold about 20,000 books, which is significant. You know? But that was over the course of a year. Uh, our first three or four weeks, I, I think we're beyond that. Oh yeah, we're definitely beyond that. Uh, <laughs> way beyond that. Yeah. That was that was within the first month. And well, you you know more about the office, uh, the things you've been hearing from uh, from your contacts. Well, I, you know, I, 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 while we're on the air, I would like to actually congratulate and thank all the support we've gotten from all the medias. I mean, national, international. I mean, we've we've gotten accolades on this book from Italy, OG Magazine, Rye Television. I'm, my friends are calling me from all over the world, fortunately, and telling me uh, you have a four-page article in this. So, you know, we were in, I was on the Today Show in Australia. That's awesome. And I was getting phone calls, and I'm saying, why are these people calling me so early? And I realized that, you know, <laughs> they're, they're all over. They're, they're 12 hours ahead of us. Wow. But, uh, and, you know, again, uh, uh, most of the praise has to go to you, Pat, because this book, the way you wrote it, I mean, everybody yeah. just keeps telling me they can't put it down. It's a page turner. It's this, that's that. Well, I, mean, I, I, I thank you very much for saying that, but I got right into your head. So you're the one. I'm just the conduit here. Well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think I, I got you down pretty well. Look, we were born and raised in the same place. We knew the same people. You know, I mean, this was a pleasure, as I have mentioned uh, quite a few times in the past. Right. You know, it's, when you have fun doing something like this, it makes it a whole different experience. I mean, this was, I had a lot of fun doing this. And we'll have fun doing the second one. And the third and the fourth. And I want to yeah. go on record right now. I want the audience to hear what I'm about to tell you because it's the first time you heard this. Mm. Pat, don't ever try to write another book with somebody else. <laughs> oh, no, man. I, I'm, always, I'm always looking over my shoulder for those people who are offering me. Who's nah, man, I know. Mm -mm. I know what I'm doing next. You know? In fact, you and I have uh, spoken about our next book. No, it's, it's so funny that we're talking about the next book. Fortunately, most most publishers and writers, and yeah, I mean, not publishers, but writers or new authors like myself don't have an opportunity. But even Neil Cavuto said, knowing you, you have 10 more books. I said, you got <laughs> that right. <laughs> That's for sure. But what we're we talking about uh, and the, the topic we've been talking about, too, and this isn't set in stone yet, but I think it's moving along quite well that we're considering uh, devoting the next book to Vegas and uh, the things that people don't know about that town and the people in that town, one particularly Howard Hughes. 
Well, yeah, and, and as you and I have been starting to talk about it and researching it, I think he's one of the most interesting characters in the world. I mean, what his achievements have been, I mean, the guy obviously was a genius, and I mean, just his aircraft knowledge and creating, not just owning aircraft companies. He, I mean, the Spruce Goose was the biggest plane ever made. He and it's wood. It made out of wood and it flew. It was yeah. a plane made out of wood? Yeah, he made it. It was, it was, it's, wow. it, it, the wingspan was larger than a football field. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, a, it was a city on wings and it was made out of wood. I mean, that's why they called it the Spruce Goose. I'm surprised I never Spruce. heard about this. That's crazy. Well, you, you heard Howard Hughes, I assume, right? Well, I've heard yeah. the name, but I don't know much about him. Howard yeah, I mean, Hughes he, was he way was... before his time. Yeah. Uh, would you say? I mean, he was an innovator with everything. He was an innovator with aviation. He was an innovator with motion pictures. Uh, he he did everything he touched turned to gold. Wow. He was a genius. Genius. Absolute genius. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I know very little of his beginnings, but obviously it had to be because of his financial, his father's wealth, to have this privilege. Because, I, I mean, again, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I got to meet the guy personally in the mid-60s when he came onto the Vegas scene and as the, the mob, you know, um, and at the time he was, he, was, he was staying at the Desert Inn Hotel when he checked in and uh, even though Wilbur Clark was the front of that, that, that was the Midwest families that owned that. And um, they started to get curious about this guy and then there was so much, we were doing our own intel on this guy <laughs> just to find out what is he doing here and why is he here. And unbeknownst to me, I, I mean, I got friendly with the guy because they told me to make sure I'm around the desert end now more than the Sands, which was right down the block. And I, I knew Bellman, I knew everybody in the town, but, you know, car, car parkers in the day. They very rarely saw me in the day unless I was leaving the hotel from Man. sleeping there overnight. <laughs> but uh, I was asking questions. And they said this guy would get up like five or six in the morning and take walks. And this is before anybody knew that he was really being a resident there. And he used to like to walk downtown. So I started meeting him like halfway, <laughs> just bunking into the guy. And he never knew who I was and just a, a guy who went, you know, walking downtown, he's walking downtown. What did he look like at the time? No, he was he was pretty normal. He looked like you're, you're you know what he reminds me of, now that you had mentioned that? He reminded me of like Hyman Roth. If you had to cast Howard Hughes, yeah. we, we would get Lee Strasberg. And then okay. just, just keep growing his hair as he became the legend that he became as far as being a, a hermit and living in the hotel and, and I mean, he was very eccentric, and, and the, the government, as we get into this story, used him, basically used the guy. I mean, it was crazy. And he was so enamored with, and we, we would find ourselves watching a lounge act at Binion's, where we were doing like six shows a day in the lounge. And the lounge was Newton, Amato, and Newton. Hmm. Wayne Newton, Tommy Amato, and Wayne's brother, three huh. people on stage. And he fell in love with, I think maybe literally, because I think he was bisexual. I think he fell in love with Wayne Newton, literally. Well, 
I'll tell you, in his youth, he uh, was very effeminate. By Newton. Hmm. He was a star when he was 15, 16 years old. Yeah. yeah. Wayne, I mean, Wayne Newton, I mean, he was, you know. But the, why I'm saying this, though, this guy had a vision, and, you know, I just was like a fly on the wall. Not until a year later, then he bought the Santa Hotel and made Wayne Newton the headliner. It was insane. I mean, you you knew who you were talking to on these on these strolls downtown, right? Oh yeah, no, I knew who it was. No, I okay. was I was asked to find out who he was, you know, because I mean the guys that were around him were Nick D'Onofo, a lot of the guys from the Purple Gang, and, and mm -hmm. that and that that was their section. But why did this guy now come? Well, you know what? I know what I'm saying. So as it started to mature. And then you started seeing more of federal agents or CIA people coming in, like Bill Dana, uh, Bob Mayhew. And then the only one lady that I actually had a link with, and they kept her in her position at the Sands Hotel, was Eleanor Grasso. She was from New York. And for some reason, they all loved her. And they kept her on, even when they were starting to purchase hotels. Catherine is doing what? And in a capacity as an executive. Okay. Because she was old school. They did that a lot. I mean, they kept a lot of the old guys, floor men, who they couldn't shake it all up. But what they well, were, what they were trying to do is introduce like Bill Daner and Mayhew and a, a couple of other guys, just as the liaison for Mr. Hughes. Wait, uh, why did the FBI want them in Vegas? Well, they figured out how much money was moving in every facet when you could think about it. Cocktail waitresses, waiters, food services. They were just basically paid minimum wage, unless it was a culinary union. But still, it wasn't. They weren't living the lifestyle they were living if it was for the tips, and the tips were always so under-recorded. Yeah. So not only did they want to know how much money was being skimmed from the back of the house, how the mob was using the money, how were they getting the money out, how they were laundering, not even drug money at that time, they were laundering more gambling money throughout the whole world. And what most people don't realize about Vegas, Vegas at that time, created their own currency that's untraceable. And Megan just gave me a look like, yeah, what? what the hell are you talking about? You gotta react, they wanna know what we're talking about. <laughs> she gave me a look like I, I just bit I was it. like, wait, no, how, how does that work? What they chips. did, the chips in that city were actually accepted currency. No way. Until the early 70s and they stopped it. Is that, they, and that was something they did secretly? No. Wide open. Accepted. It was accepted. Wow. But you can go to the grocery store with chips and get money for it. Then that's what guys were doing. They were coming in with big money. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys had, we'd create lines for them, a credit line in the casino. So let's say you had $10,000 line in five casinos, you could wash 50000 right away. Wow. So what you would do, you'd draw your line, take those chips, and bring them to. Any hotel, cash them in.
You're not going to bring it to a grocery store location, but they were like every every casino represented a bank in their minds, and even my mind. Right. So anytime I wanted to worry about money or get rid of money, and that was long before we had a relationship with the Valley Bank, which was a squeaky clean bank, and even the IRS and the FBI and all that. This was a Mormon bank-based bank run by Mormons in Salt Lake City. Wow. So and they were laundering money. And they were laundering money, yeah. <laughs> of course. No but, no, but the interesting thing is, as do, the obvious, you're looking at the mob, you're looking at bag men coming in, mm -hmm. and it had to get more sophisticated as the money grew, because as Vegas and the, you know, got to be the, the entertainment capital of the world, and you know, the 30 years I spent there, I watched the transition and watched the millions and millions of dollars a week go out the door. So this is how the government thought, and they've had a relationship years before him coming to Vegas with Hughes Aircraft. So Hughes Aircraft, which is based in California, and I think in Texas early on also, they had contracts where they were buying contracts aircraft from him. Hmm. Yeah, the and government was buying aircraft. He, yeah. he also owned up uh, Pan Am Airways, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And with that, this gave us a legitimate way to see where they were going. And sure enough, they made a deal unbeknownst to the world because the government's not allowed in free enterprise. Mm -hmm. They're definitely not allowed in the gaming industry. This is before even the Indians got in the gaming industry. It was recognized. Most people don't know this, this is what I'm about to say. Gaming is not legalized in the United States. It can't be. What type of gaming do you mean? Any game, Camp. casinos, any game. Okay. So what the citizens, when they put it on their vote over a year or two, was in like 1947, I think, or maybe 37, I don't remember, when the Binions started gaming and, and all those guys downtown that, you know, the, the old coal miners and Texans and all the, the, the um, oh, some of the old guys, I forgot their names, they were some great guys though. But they got it on the ballot where the state citizens would recognize it, but it had to be unanimous. Oh. And they convinced the citizens they had no other resources. You didn't have, there was nothing. Right. It was a desert. You couldn't grow <laughs> stuff. You know, like California had farming, who had cattle, who had whatever. So how are you going to support this? And the, and the government just built probably one of the major energy sources for four states called Hoover Dam. Right. So when Hoover Dam went in, they had a big military base still there. It's still there, actually. And what they were trying to do after the Second World War was they were actually offering mortgages to servicemen, veterans, for a dollar. What? They would finance the other 99%. And then how I got involved in buying so much raw land, they wanted people to invest from other states money into the state. Mm -hmm. And how they made it very inviting was to come there and you could buy raw land, and until you improved it, you paid no taxes on it at all, none. Because first of all, you had no utilities, you had nothing, you had no sewer. I'm talking yeah. about this is raw land. Right. 
And one one friend that just pops out at me all the time, a gentleman called Hank Greenspun, who owned the only newspaper in Nevada, and he was a mover and shaker for early on when he first got there, only to find out later on there were rumors that he was doing a lot of money and supporting Israel with arms. Oh. And he bought everything from the right from Wayne Newton's backyard, I think, because Wayne Newton lived on Russell Road and Paradise, which like was the end of a paved street. Mm. And he bought all this marvelous, uh, the Shenandoah Ranch. Don't ask me how I knew that. <laughs> he bought the Shenandoah Ranch, and it had uh, Arabians. Again, that was a big tax thing. He was making all kinds of money. And the government treated Arabian horses like livestock. So it was like buying cattle. So you got big tax deductions with this. And he was buying horses for $100,000 at that time. I mean, you could buy a cow for 14000 They never thought people were going to start buying, you know, Arabians and breeding them, but it fell under the same, same laws. Mm. With all that said, they realized, they, how are they going to get control of this? Because they keep track of all this. They had to have somebody on the inside. Yeah, they had to. Mm. And uh, me, I was all, all over the place. I wanted to learn everything, and I did, fortunately. And not just me, but a, a couple of, I would say a dozen guys that were really working for the outfit, the mob, whatever you want to call it. But to, they, that's when they really got into the syndicate part of this, and they realized they had to unite. And that's when they started building bigger hotels. I mean... The tip of the iceberg was basically Bugsy Siegel. And uh, he made the mistake, him and Virginia Hill thought they'd skim some money because the overrides and building the Flamingo, the first hotel. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Binions and, and uh, the Boyds and all these Texans wouldn't let them build in Las Vegas. And most people don't know this, anything east of Sahara is not Las Vegas. I mean, casino drives, all that stuff that's downtown. Yeah. F Fremont Street and all that. That's Las Vegas City. Mm -hmm. After you go the other way, it's Paradise Valley. Oh. So like Caesar's Palace, every hotel you, you could think of, I mean, the monster buildings of the Venetian and the Bellagio right. and the MGM Grand, they are not in Las Vegas. I never knew that. That's not technically Las Vegas? No. It's Paradise Valley. But they just market it that way? Well, yeah. What are they going to say? Why not? Huh. Interesting. I yeah, know. I didn't know that either. The original gambling was in old Las Vegas, so it's an extension. So the state, in, the state yeah. of Nevada yeah. recognized it. The only two, only two counties were Reno, Nevada mm -hmm. and Las Vegas, Nevada that actually had casinos. But the Boyds and... Benny Binion and a lot of other guys, they didn't want Italians and mob in the city. So they gave him the worst location in the world <laughs> that they should go build out there. And he did. And they did. Wow. And then they kept coming. So then the syndicate got together and created all the families in the United States. I mean, this is casino history. Probably nobody even knows Yeah, this. no. They created the syndicate, whereas, let's say, New England, Raymond Patriarca, he got a guy to front for him, mm. and they built the Dunes Hotel. 
Then you had Kansas City, St. Louis. They built the Aladdin before that was called the uh, the Alibaba, some stupid name. <laughs> but everybody, like uh, the Riviera Hotel was Detroit. And the, what the thing was, they can go in there and they're creating their own banks with their own money. That's so interesting. And when you created a chip for a $5,000 chip, you just made something out of a piece of paper that's worth $5,000. This you spend order, anywhere. Nobody, nobody yeah. knew what was going on. That's insane. And, and, the, and the whole situation was absolutely controlled like you couldn't believe. And that's why you never saw violence in Nevada. There was never an arrest, nothing, unless it was some drunken brawl. Right. But there was never a guy who owned 20,000 is going to be taken into the desert, like they said, could never be settled there. Mm. They may tell you to meet me in Arizona, right. but not in Nevada. <laughs> they <kill> you there. <laughs> so they realized what they've created with this beautiful tax relief and come here and invest in land. I mean, it was so funny after a while when you would see pins on the map, like even myself, I was, I had maybe, I had, I, well, I still have some, uh, well, not many corporations offshore, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I had like 23 acres of casino land. Wow. I had about 50 acres of residential. <laughs> so down the county, you would see all these names. And there was no Western names or Southern names. Everybody had a vowel at the end of their name. <laughs> and now the government's saying, what the hell's going on here? Now they understand. Uh -huh. yeah, we got we to gotta get in here. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, by that time, by the time they got a handle on it, but you have to realize that J. Edgar Hoover denied the existence of the, uh, of the mafia. Of course. Of organized crime. Because he was a degenerate gambler. They got pictures of him in a dress and all this. So it was an agreement, as Johnny has mentioned in the past, to stay away from anything organized crime. So by the time Hoover dies in 72, the FBI wants to get in, they're overwhelmed. It's too late. No, it's crazy. And to Howard Hughes. Yeah, and so and that's right. So they needed to find an individual that they could, basically they were laundering federal tax dollars to this guy to buy aircraft that I don't even know if he even delivered any, but his obligation to them was to use this money to buy casinos that they can infiltrate and put their guys in. So a lot of the guys, you know, or accountants, they were FBI, IRS guys. Huh. Guys in the cage, they were all trained. They even had FBI agent females as cocktail waitresses. Wow. And, and they'd work a year on the job and I knew a couple of them. A lot of them wanted to quit the agency. They were having so much fun doing that. <laughs> they wanted to keep doing it. Making a hell of a lot more money. Yeah. yeah. And you know, hanging out with you know every. That's when the Vegas was Vegas. You know, and, and when I got there, there was two shows a night. You know, I didn't get there until '59. So I'm I'm coming in ten years after Bugsy and all that whole fiasco. Right. And but now you're starting to see buildings going up. I mean, I was there. You open United Caesar's Palace. I was there. So many openings of hotels that people just took for granted. The Barbary Coast never existed, mm. and it was funny because the Boyds and 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 uh, Binion and them, they bought that corner. 
Nobody wanted that corner. They said, we got to buy something up there now because <laughs> we were taking all their business from them. So they started coming up there, which was very funny because they used a guy called Mo Dalitz, mm -hmm. who was uh, Maya's guy from Florida. And Maya, obviously, and, and Frank Costello and uh, Tony Ocado and some major players ran this whole thing. And they got legitimate men in business to be the fronts. There was no ta no Italian being licensed. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was the first Italian 100% owner of a casino in the state of Nevada. Really? And they gave me such a problem. But I knew I had all, they didn't know where I, where, what I was doing. But when I went for my license, most people don't know this, it's a privileged license. So when you go before the gaming board, you could build a property, you can get a building approved. Mm -hmm. But you can never get your casino approved until it's complete. The way they wrote the law, they thought they had control over you. The gaming commission has the final say whether you get a license or not. Once I mean, the building when, is built. When you think of the Bellagio, yeah, a couple of hundred million dollars, they didn't know whether they were going to get a casino license Ooh, until the last minute. That's risky. And I, not only risky, but at that time, the Nevada Gaming Commission, you know, you had people and people like anywhere else, you know, that could lobby for you, senators yeah. and all that. Yeah. But it was getting worse and worse because they know they had to stop it. Mm. So even I remember when Steve Wynn called me and, and he told me, he says, uh, we're having a problem with a guy called Charlie Myerson who was on the license at the Nugget. But they didn't, they now they have, because that, that commission keeps changing. And even they were getting pressure from the federal government. So they didn't know whether they were going to license Steve Wynn for the Bellagio. And they're, they were already sold out for the opening weekend. That's crazy. What excuse can they use not to grant a license to a guy like Steve Wynn? Well, because of his association. It happened to Kirk Kikorian, too. Kirk Kikorian owned TWA Airlines. And I knew Kurt well. And when he built the International, which is the biggest hotel in the world, and I said, Kurt, did you get your license? I ain't what Kurt. I said, Kurt, you gotta go get fingerprinted. A principal has to be fingerprinted from the sheriff. It was like degrading these guys, are billionaires. Huh. They had to go down Nevada, in the city, Las Vegas, be fingerprinted, photographed, and a background check. He waited to almost 24 hours thought he was going to get around it. It's unconstitutional. And that's when most people realized it isn't unconstitutional because only the citizens of Nevada recognize gaming. Wow. It's not, you have no First Amendment. Yeah, yes, right. you're an American that's citizen. That's crazy. Oh, but that's, oh, but now, I mean, now you can understand the government built this wonderful playground for the mob yeah and they had no way to control it that's so funny so now they had to get this guy so they i was a very friendly kid at that at my age you know mm -hmm. i could become friends with anybody and howard hughes i was enamored with anyway and i i i loved the gangsters all my life mm -hmm. and when i found out that he owned rko studios and they always thought he liked gangsters and the proof of it was the first film he made was a, a, a non-talkie about Al Capone. <laughs> really? 
I didn't know oh, that. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, you, I, I mean, and then he didn't want to release it. And then he tried to, I mean, he, he shut nuts. He was very bizarre. But anyway, this is a guy that changed the tapestry of what we knew Vegas to be. And, and everybody always talks about the good old days when the mob ran it. It was a better place to be. You'd walk in and say hello to somebody. What do you want? You want to go to dinner? And they, they didn't care because <laughs> they were making money no matter what. Yeah. Now the corporate structure that they brought in, every department had to make money. So the coffee shop had to make money. The, the, cause it may, may mean nothing to people, but when you start to think of that's when they started rating you as a player. Because you shouldn't get a free dinner unless you played X amount of dollars. Oh. Years ago, you could be somebody's friend and come and eat and bring your family. It didn't mm -hmm. mean anything. So this is how they came up with this theory. And we watched it develop. And we had some people on the inside of them. Because the, the operators, the actual casino operators, when they were bringing management in, that's when they stopped managing hotels. They were bringing known hotel management companies coming in that can guarantee them so many hotel nights because now you're getting television publicity, you're getting all kinds of publicity they never had before. Mm. And it wasn't a destination yet. You know, when they started building all these hotels and they had a star in every showroom twice a night, eight o'clock show, Midnight show. I remember when they brought, I mean, Kirk Corian opened on in July, I think of 69 or something like that. He had Barbara Streisand doing two shows a night for the first two weeks, followed by Elvis Presley doing two shows a night. And he built a 1,500-seat showroom. They all thought he was nuts. And that's when all these showrooms got, I mean, the Sands Hotel Copa Room sat 300, 350 the most. Mm two shows a night, and they were making money because of the tables. Right. Now they showed you that you would put 1,500 seats in, charge tickets, and if you wanted to comp those tickets, the casino actually had to buy the ticket so they could watch and follow who's getting what. This was all done as a business now. And that's why, you know, we had maybe 10 or 20 more years to do what we were doing. And that's why we went into basically the money business overseeing as a money business, taking the money out. Then they changed early 70s. You can't take a chip to another hotel. It's worthless. It's only money in the hotel. And when did that happen? Early 70s. Okay. After they got into IRS, mm -hmm. setting this all up. And, uh, and then they also did a, 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 something that was unique. They made them change all the casino chips, every hotel, which was nothing to do. I mean, they're made out of paper, cardboard. Yeah. But they wanted to change the dye colors in the centers. There's a rainbow. It's like a, a, a ribbon or, or a, like they do in counterfeit money. They have these bands now they can tell. Right. Well, they did that with chips first. Just so okay. they said, all these chips, put all new money in. So maybe because yeah, they could be probably prior to that, they could be easily counterfeited. What's that? They could be these chips could be easily counterfeited. No. Yeah, but what they wanted to do, what they were trying to do, the old chips didn't have color bands. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so they were giving the mob the opportunity to bring in their old chips to turn them in. It's, oh. it's like they did with the euro. They gave people five years to turn in your old money. And I've had people in, I had an uncle in Sicily. He had, his dream in life was to have a million dollars in every currency. And he did. And then they created the euro. And then what's he going to do with it? You can't turn it in. Because they're gonna ask where he got it. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, when you get into the sophistication of what the government did, it wasn't not just bringing Howard Hughes in. Howard Hughes was the likely person to be in because he had the conduit of the contract with the aircraft, and they controlled him. And the story that he became eccentric and all that, he was getting tired. Because he's a very creative guy. Buying hotels was not creative. Right. And knowing why he was doing it, I don't know if he had a conscience or not at this point. But that's when they, the rumor started where nobody saw him anymore. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Bob Mayhew, who was his right-hand man, was he claims guy? that for the last 20 years of Hughes' life, they never met. Right. Really? He, would talk yeah. to him. he was in a drape. And when was this? When did he start becoming MIA? The last, the last 20 years, 20 of, years of a man's life. Okay, that's a long time. Never no talked to anybody in person. And not, yeah. They said he was a germaphobic. So they got away with having tents around him and all that. Okay. But how they got him to the recluse, he got an ailment. And they said he was dehydrated from being out in the desert and all the sun. In the drip. They started stringing him out on heroin. No, who? The government. Oh gosh. <laughs> That's why he so, never cut his hair anymore. His never, fingernails were three or four inches long. No, this guy. What happened to him? Lost Jeez. his mind due to drugs and they everything else. But control they said that when he died, he hadn't had a haircut in 20 years. I mean, understand this. This man was a genius. Right. All of a sudden, and, and you know, the funniest thing, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, why, but God bless the government. And, and Pat and I are really looking at this being our next book and all of this. But the only man in the world, as we mentioned earlier, who created the Spruce Goose, an avi aviation genius, dies in an airplane crash from, Parada from Paradise Island going to Texas to his hometown. He died in a plane crash? They said, I don't know. It was no, he died. He died. In, uh, he, this guy was in so many crashes. Yeah. Which, uh, which are, uh, they said, whether they are, contributed to his psychological problems. He had numerous head injuries, concussions, skull fractures. Ooh. But no, he, he, he died. He was like a test pilot for all his own planes. Well, for his own planes. Okay, then that makes sense. And he didn't have to do that. He owned the aircraft company. You know, I mean, he loved flying. I think he loved crashing, but he crashed an awful lot of times. Yeah, probably not. Uh, and he said some of his problems were due to, due to his head injuries. But he didn't die in a plane crash. But, he died, I don't know what kind of a death, natural or whatever. But they had all these he, doctors yeah. that were in control of him. Nobody saw him. Nobody saw him at all. You don't, you don't know if he died five years prior, they said. Yeah, don't know. Wow. Yeah. You don't know. Because then they he was a former FBI agent who wound up being a CIA contractor who was Hughes's. Uh, right-hand man, and oh. he said, "I haven't seen him since." You know, his interview Mayhew. was in the early 1990s. I haven't seen him since That's the early insane. 70s. And Bob Mayhew just died three or four years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder what became of him. Yeah. This oh. guy was a spook. He died in secret. Yeah. I mean, this guy, yeah. uh, he was he, he was real, you know, a spy in the dictionary. I'll see, you'll see a picture of Bob Mayhew. He was a very interesting guy, but he ran Hughes Aircraft. He ran all the Hughes' corporations and, and, and Hughes' delirium. He couldn't do anything. And he was a CIA agent. Well, he was an FBI agent. Well, he, I mean, I mean he, he, you got a bad FBI, FBI agent, CIA, whatever. So they were all, yeah. that's who they were. Wow. Yep. His whole group was that. Yeah, he did hide all the FBI and CIA guys. That's crazy. And not that he hired them, they were delivered to They were him. put there. Yeah, they were put there. Huh. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I think, and but I mean, the guy, I, you have to say one thing, though. He, once he was a legitimate owner, other corporations came in, they thought, and then they realized what was going on and how it was controlled. Before that, legitimate money would invest in Nevada because they knew the mob ran it. Mm-hmm. And then you get the genius of Sam Giancana puts a, a guy called Tony Spalatro. They had it under control when they were using a guy called Lefty Rosenthal, who um, um, Bobby De Niro Bobby. played him, right, in the casino? Yeah, the casino, yeah. yeah. And he, why they brought him there, he was a good numbers man odds maker, and they brought people in like that really knew the business. Then, for some reason, they were losing control, they said. They weren't losing control. I know they weren't. They're, Why'd they send them in there? They, Does anybody know what he says? Sam, Sam Giancana sent Spalatro in to watch Lefty Rosenthal. Did he need watching? They thought he did. Yeah. Well, usually they don't watch you. They, they watch you for a while, what you think they say? Well, he's he's doing his job, or he's not doing his job. But then again, by that time, Spilatro didn't want to leave, right? Oh yeah, no, Spilatro, Spilatro, forget about it. He was yeah. uncontrollable, and uh, you know he undermined the whole thing. And and everybody at first went along with it. They didn't care. They had their own property. They'll take care of themselves. And the, the Stardust Hotel, which was one of their biggest properties, and they owned another club. I think the Nevada Club or something down downtown. But um, the Stardust Hotel was probably the most rooms before Kirk Corey came there. Hmm. And uh, but and and the Money Machine was in the heart of the Strip at the time because it was bound by the Sahara Hotel, which was on the corner of the Sahara Hotel, and the Hacienda was the end of the Strip, and the Hacienda right now would be where. Um, Oh, I don't even know what to say. Maybe the Mirage was out there. Okay. Not the Mirage, no. It's further out. But then they were, sp- sp- you know, sparsely put there. Mm-hmm. It was desert in between them. And then, now, then, you know, every sidewalk is loaded with hotels or properties. But uh, it was an interesting transition to see how, and this was all done because the government needed to get control of it. The money, I mean, I I used to remember getting on a plane on... Sunday night, Monday mornings with a couple of million dollars. That was totally unaccountable. I mean, I could have went south with it, and that would have been one flight only, and that would have been <laughs> But I, mean, I don't think we'd be talking now. Yeah, no, no, Probably I know, not. No, definitely we wouldn't have been talking. Yeah. No book. No, no book, nothing. But the, the, <laughs> the thing is that, you know, and that's when we had to get, uh, we had to really get creative, and we did, fortunately. 
and because of my association with Nick Nitty and Tony Accardo and Costello, we got to become couriers and we found a new way of moving the money. And we did it through two local banks that they would actually pick up the money on Monday mornings. And by the afternoon, they knew the account, mm-hmm. whatever the, the, you know, fives, tens, twenties, hundreds that they brought in. We would pick up all new $100 bills from the mint in the bands yet. Wow. And, That's you know, truly sending your money to the laundromat. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was, you know, it was a, a great thing for us. And then, you know, getting, uh, having the association we had with the Catholic Church, we knew the federal government has no jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, the United, everybody said the United Nations is in New York. They don't realize that piece of land is no man's land. You yes, can't not by anybody. You, a New York cop can't go on the United Nations property. Unless they're invited, and that yeah. doesn't happen. Right. Interesting. And that's what the Vatican is. The Vatican in Rome uh-huh. is not part of Italy. It's got its own police department, right. own laws, and their wealth is ridiculous. I mean, figure they pay no taxes. I think it was like 20 years ago, they proved that the Vatican itself was the largest single stockholder in the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> what are you, you got a pill to take? <laughs> if that's for you, you're not here, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, All right. Uh, and then they found out that they are the largest landholders in the world, tax-free. Think of every Catholic school, every church. They own more land, just their land in New York alone. Look at St. Patrick's, it's a block square. Mm-hmm. No tax. Wow. Nothing. So, so they... uh, Megan, after yes. being uh, with us for, you know, on this show for the last couple of months, are you beginning to realize that nothing is on the level? <laughs> <laughs> or, or nothing yes, is I think you, so. Nothing, if you haven't by this time, I think we need like a couple a more shows. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's so sophisticated. And it's still now because, you know, they'll always find and, 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 and you know, just... When you, like what Pat just said, when you start to think of what you think life's about, mm-hmm. and then realize there's corruption everywhere. I don't care where it is. I mean, in banks, I mean, oh, I, trust funds, anything. I mean, there's ways. Yeah. Laws were always made to be broken. <laughs> and if you're sophisticated enough, you may not get caught. <laughs> <laughs> If you do it well, we just huh? hope we just hope maybe that uh, Gianni and I don't turn you into a cynic. Ah, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Happen. I don't think so. Uh, good. When I first well, met her, she had well, that twinkle in her eye, and I said, no, yeah, "We'll no, give no. you a couple more uh, weeks." This girl wants some excitement. Wants to <laughs> learn the world. Anyway, uh, that's uh, you always have something that that I don't know about. I mean, I always like to learn stuff. I mean, you are a a, a font of information, Gianni. It really is so true. Well, you know, and thank you for that. But I have yeah. to say, is the only reason because I was trusted by people mm-hmm. like Mr. Costello, like Mo Dalich, like Ocardo, Al Malnick, who's still alive. This guy's been my mentor forever. The man is a genius. It's Nobody even right? knows his net worth. Mm-hmm. I try to talk to him as much as I can. And uh, he's taught me so much. And I have to thank all those mentors. And I've always was very respectful 
and still am and always will be. And there is so much to learn just by listening, mm-hmm. being trusted, and just gaining people's confidence. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it because now, I mean, when, when you start, like this conversation was a casual conversation, mm-hmm. but I just awoken myself on what I really knew or how they did this. Yeah, you knew a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this still has to amaze you when you're talking about it. Oh, it I mean, does. They were, they, the government could have taken pointers from these people on how to be organized. Yeah. Yeah, right. Think about it. Yeah, they no, could have taken some pointers. Oh, yeah, because most of the government's laws are from hindsight. They're right. always They're always renewing or changing laws because they've they, they become, you know, antiquated. Right. So their the, the visions weren't what they should have been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they should have been more flexible. You know, it's... Uh, the the the, uh, you know, the Constitution of the United States, I've always said it. I mean, th- those forefathers didn't know what they were writing because they got the guns in the wrong hands. They got people, <laughs> but I mean, and everybody stands up on that. It's my constitutional right. Okay. Well, now I now, now, now we know why they call it organized crime. It yeah, is well, organized crime. Yeah. You know what? Sure. I, I what I was laughing at and on that subject. It's current events. Not to get political. But um, uh, what's the old man that ran for president last year? He's coming back into the field. Oh, Bernie. Yeah. Bernie Sanders. Yeah. He wants the convicts in prison to be able to vote. He don't think they should not have their constitutional rights taken away from them because they committed a crime. I mean, I think he's running on that platform. Every convict, he'll win. That's kind of an interesting stance to take, though. Yes. Let's yeah. give every, every convicted pedophile that's serving time now the right to vote. I, I think mean, it's a oh, wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's this, guy, what's this guy thinking? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope he still is thinking. But anyway. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. Anyway, another interesting show. Yeah, abs- I learned, learned a lot, that's for sure. Let this time go. Yeah, it's Anyway, uh, I guess it's good night till the next time. Yeah, till yes, next so time. Yes, to all of you out there, please, as as informative I was tonight by myself, I'm sure, I hope you all learned something, especially about the, the, guy, the Gaming Commission. Oh, yeah. And we may someday talk about Indian tribes. Oh. Because now they are where the original mob is. They answer to nobody. They pay no taxes in all these states, and they have all the casinos. All right, we'll talk about that. Stay tuned, (laughs) and definitely subscribe. We love you all, and thank you. Good night, night, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Email Gianni Russo with your questions, comments, and for information regarding his motivational speaking appearances to Gianni at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Email Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and visit Amazon.com for a listing of books he has written. I'm Megan Horan. I can be emailed at Megan at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and would enjoy hearing from you. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. But most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails. Good night.